Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It is time for our final live segment for 2021 on this program. The next two weekends, you'll hear best off shows. But uh, I could think of no better way of concluding the year than calling on Catherine Swift at Working CDNs, Working Canadians, Linda Leatherdale, Vice President of Cambria, Canada, financial consultant advisor, former money editor of the Toronto Sun, Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament and seatmate to Justin Trudeau during question period when they were both in opposition. So it's our Beauties and the Beast year-ender. Beauties, how are you all? Hey, Roy, we're great. Absolutely. Speak for yourself, I'm sick. Oh, what's no. up? What's up? <laughs> what's going on? What's going on, Catherine? I've, I'm going for my COVID test tomorrow morning. Oh, I, really? I'm quite oh, sick. My. Oh, no. So, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm not terribly sick, but I, it, it's it's um, something going on there. Yeah, Please can... let us know. I, a... Well, yeah, I will. I will. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be letting everybody know that I've seen in person for the last week or so, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can hear a little bit in your voice. I hope you're. Yeah, I'm, I'm be coughing, okay. sore throat, achy, blah blah. You know all the classic symptoms. But it could just be a bug, right? I mean, I've got grandkids now, which means that you're sick half the time, just like you are when your own kids are little, right? And it is <laughs> it is the cold season. It is the cold season, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, but I am going to get tested because, of course, my whole family's coming. For Christmas, right? And so if I'm sick, I better know about it. Yeah, absolutely. Good uh, for well, you. Well, we hope you're okay. Well, and we... I'm and I'm vaxxed and boosted, by the way. So Good. for what it's worth. Well, we're pulling for you. Thank you. You know that. <laughs> okay, so I, I said, uh, I asked all, all three of you to decide what it is you wanted to talk about, what, what was most significantly important to you uh, in 2021. And you all had started with the same issue and that is fiscal reality, financial responsibility, Canadians holding government to account. But it all comes back to the basic, fundamental dollars and cents reality for this country. Uh, Linda, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, well, you know, I listened intently to your last guest, Roy. He was wonderful. And he actually nailed it. Um, so I might sound like I'm repeating him. But you know, Roy, for years on your show, we've talked about government over their heads in debt and consumers. So I pulled up some numbers from 2021, and I just thought I'd remind people that our federal and provincial net debt doubled in the last few years to over $2 trillion, which is 91.6% of economic growth. Unsustainable? I think so. Household debt in the meantime, in the third quarter, we added another $51.6 billion to our a record 2.1 trillion in household debt, which is actually at 109% of GDP. And those numbers scare me. So for every disposable dollar that we have, we owe a dollar 77. So the fiscal reality, you know, and now you're right, like inflation. And I listened to Dan McTagroy, 
He's warning that these new carbon taxes are going to push up gas prices even more. But they're up 42 percent and they're helping to fuel inflation, food prices. You mentioned it. All of these when incomes are not growing. And now we've got the new variant. And again, poor little businesses are going to have to suffer. And so will consumers. Um, as they say, the people that have lots of money and a guaranteed government job may not worry. But there's a lot of people that I am worried about. So I think as we head in to 2022, that's got to be a reality check. Okay. And you are right. When Christine Freeland can make a mistake about the billions now she plans on spending after we've already spent $340 billion on COVID, and she can't get the numbers right. Well, well I, I, I think there might have been a little bit of gamesmanship there with that <laughs> or $7.4 billion turning suddenly into 11 point whatever it was, billion, going up 61%. Okay, let's, let's thank Catherine for... Uh, for stepping up here when she's not feeling well. And I I know what it feels like to, to to have to try to talk and think at the same time when you're not well. It's hard enough when you're feeling okay, at least for me. Um, so Catherine, I'm not chewing gum, though, Roy, so oh, I should be That's okay. it. That's the third part of the triangle. <laughs> so, Catherine, what, uh, what's, what's the perspective that you bring to this one? Well, we're, it's it's very interesting. We're all homing in on the same thing. And I, I listened to your interview with Yves Giroux yesterday, the parliamentary budget officer. Also, I heard the uh, Carleton University economist uh, and agreed with them both 100%. What we've been doing, and granted, the pandemic, extraordinary circumstances. We know government had to step up to the plate, and they did. We can criticize them because in many areas they deserve it. But generally speaking, we needed that to happen. But what we've had, I think the interesting thing is, though, this federal government and some provincial governments were in financial trouble prior to the pandemic. So, yes, the pandemic, for sure, uh, extraordinary. We needed to do things, but we were already cruising in a bad direction prior to it. And when I look at what needs to be done now, I would I would shorten it down to we have the unproductive sector of the economy, i.e. government. A lot of these uh, so-called social entrepreneurs who are basically an arm of government, even though they pretend to be businesses, they're not. They're subsidized by government. Uh, we have that unproductive, uh, unproductive part of the economy growing like crazy. The productive part of the economy, the private sector businesses that employ people, that uh, pay a lot of taxes to government. Of course, their employees pay taxes as well and so on. Those that contribute to the national bottom line are hurting very badly. And when I looked at the mandate letters that Justin Trudeau, you know, he never writes, so let's not fool ourselves, but, you know, that those so-called mandate letters the prime minister gives to all of the ministers to lay out the direction for the next little while, they were all looking at climate issues, equity issues. None of them were looking at actually creating prosperity in the productive part of the economy. And that worries me terribly. It should worry every Canadian because if, if that sector, if the, if the contributing sector isn't functioning properly and it's badly damaged right now, uh, it, then we don't have healthcare. We don't have uh, education. We don't have social services. That's yeah. the bottom line. Government never pays for it's itself. It's like taking your car out with it smoking badly in the front left tires flat. You're not going far. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Pretty much. Good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Michelle Simpson, I waited, Michelle, because you're the one with the sitting in Parliament experience, and you have the added bonus and uh, the, you know, the, uh, the unquestioned bonus of sitting beside Mr. Trudeau, having those glorious moments of having the now Prime Minister share with you his, the late, latest articles about him. As you sat down and thought you'd be talking about the business of the country, he showed you stories that were all about him. Uh 
So I had to say that. So you point out, Michelle, and I really like this, 20 years ago, when the country was running into fiscal issues, Canadians really cared. We were into it. We demanded that our government be responsible. Not so much now, right? Roy, not at all. And I think it's unfortunate, but this whole pandemic is going to be a cloak um, to have cover for our current government that is going to spend, 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 spend uncontrollably. And the one thing I can tell you is it's all about the votes, all about votes, and that's what scares me. The political end of it is so strong it isn't about the health concerns and it isn't about the economic concerns. It's about getting the vote. And we're seeing that more and more. And uh, I just hope that Canadians wake up to that. Yeah, because ultimately, we're going to be paying the bill. Or absolutely, Canadians who aren't born yet are going to be paying the bill. Yep. And the answer, as Michelle points out in her email to all of us earlier this week, is, of course, to just follow the... Um, the uh, the uh, triptych of um, Mr. Singh, whose theory is that all we have to do is tax the billionaires and then everything will be just fine. Except, Michelle, you point out there's less than 50 of them in the Canada, so. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, free for all here for, for 10 minutes or so as we as we head into the, the end of the of this program, this segment. Uh, whatever you want to talk about, let's uh, let's 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 run out of twenty twenty one with a lot of steam. Why don't we talk about health care? Sure. Because if there's if there's a, a system that was already in big trouble before the pandemic, despite the fact a lot of Canadians still believe in the mythology that we have this fabulous healthcare system, we haven't had it for a very long time. If you look at the actual facts involved, and by the way, we pay a lot for it. So the calls for the next little while are going to be, we need to throw more money at it. No, we don't actually. We pay more money per capita for healthcare than many countries that get much better results, actual healthcare results than we do. There was a poll done relatively recently um, that showed that Canadians were much more receptive now uh, after the pandemic. And we've seen the horrible weaknesses in our healthcare system, um, more, much more receptive to structural change. So I would hope that continues because we need to get away from our, our, our inefficient, expensive government monopoly and start looking at the systems in places like New Zealand, uh, various European countries and so on that have a parallel private public system and it's not two tier, it's still contained within the envelope of a public system, but it's much, much more efficient. So I think that should be one lesson of the pandemic. Absolutely, uh, healthcare, Linda, Michelle. Well, I just want to put a shout out to all the healthcare workers that, you know, it's been really, really tough. And yeah, Catherine makes a good point. But my message, you know, as I look at 2021 and then going into 2022 is put your financial house in order. We are going to see interest rates rise. We have been so lucky at a Bank of Canada rate at 0.25%. We know south of the border, they're looking at three rate increases probably in 2022. And too many people are living off of credit and they also think their homes will continue to go up in value so my message is you know the government and that's something i forgot to say 
I don't think Trudeau or Freeland even gives the Department of Finance any respect. And they just think that we can spend, spend, spend. We had the debt clock that traveled across this country back in the 1990s. And even Paul Martin listened. It is time to bring the debt clock back for Canadians and for government. And we got to get that message across. Michelle? Linda, I couldn't agree with you more. It really scares the hell out of me about how much spending is going on. And, you know, as much as I hated it, I pulled back in everything I could because, you know, it was, I don't think the sky's falling, but in some respects, I, I wake up at two, three in the morning and I think about all these things and the healthcare is as a huge issue, huge, and I don't. I, I agree with uh, Catherine. We have to have parallel. We have to look outside the box. We keep batting our heads against the same old, same old, and we're getting the same results. You know what's interesting? I about thirty years ago, I started talking about parallel healthcare system. We talked to uh, Europeans who had it, and the Swiss particularly, where everybody has to buy insurance, health care, and it's based on uh, the fundamental cost that you pay is, or the fee that you pay is based on your income, your ability to pay, but everybody has to buy insurance. And I was told that I was a, what was I, a fascist, um, I was a communist, I was a, I mean, there were things that, there were ists I, uh, that I was that I had no idea existed. But now I think we're starting to understand that we cannot continue like this because healthcare, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but healthcare has been a political football for decades now, for generations, and now we're starting. Well, no, we're not starting. We're, we're paying the price. You know, Absolutely. you know what countries, countries that had a, a parallel private system. You know what they did during the pandemic? It was interesting. They switched a lot of their surgeries and procedures to these clinics, and they kept their COVID cases in the public hospitals. So they didn't have the huge backlogs that we now are facing with all these people that are, frankly, some of them are dying because they didn't get a diagnostic test for cancer a year ago and their cancer got so much worse that they couldn't fix it finally. And I mean, that's, you know, it's awful what's happened, but because we didn't have a a system to, you know, to sort of back up our public system. And, and you know, if that doesn't bring the point home to people, I don't know what does, but, you know, to end on one note, Roy, I think we've lost a lot of our freedoms as Canadians during the pandemic, and we were willing to sacrifice them temporarily. But I think a lot of governments, and I'm not just talking about left-leaning governments, I'm talking about a lot of governments have enjoyed their increased control over the citizenship. And I think we as citizens, as voters, need to push back against that hard. Because I think even though they justified this with the pandemic, I think they're going to be very reluctant to relinquish that degree of influence and control once the pandemic is a thing of the past. And party notwithstanding, you know, I remember speaking with Michael Bryant, who's the executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Mr. Bryant and I didn't agree on very much when he was the attorney general for Ontario. But he said at the beginning, when, when the first um, when the first restrictions were being brought in, he said, well, let's pay very close attention here because the first time they do it, it'll be tough for governments to do because they're not, not accustomed to it. But each time it'll become easier. I yeah, agree. It's dangerous. Very it's dangerous. Dang- and our freedoms 
are so important in Canada. And some Canadians might think, oh, yeah, that's kind of a nice thing to have. But, you know, things like freedom of speech aren't just important for what we say on the Internet. And we know we're going to see another piece of legislation come down to try to restrict that from the feds in the next little while. Our freedom underlies our democracy. It underlies our market economy, which has been pretty successful by and large. They, it is such a fundamental thing. We cannot sacrifice it. And that's going to be a challenge to my thinking going forward. Okay, so what are you, having, what are you eating for Christmas dinner? <laughs> well, turkey? I'm a vegetarian, and I cook a turkey because my family needs turkey. Wait so. a minute. Hold. Stop. Stop. For and a I don't eat it. Wait a minute. You're a vegetarian? I'm allergic to turkey. I've been a vegetarian for 50 years. No. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Wow. Ooh. Well, I don't usually, you know, tell tales out of school, so. <laughs> so what's well, a- my daughter... What's he the- wants organic turkey, so organic it is. <laughs> when any when any of the greenies that are sitting there eating their steaks talk about the environment, I say I've done more for the environment by not eating meat in my you know fifty odd years than you've done <laughs> than you've ever done. So stop Wait a minute. <laughs> What's the substitute for turkey? Oh, I Ooh. just have a lot of nice veggies. That's okay. all. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't eat tofu turkey or any of that jazz. No, ooh. I hear it's terrible. I've never tried it. Oh, I had I had one of those burgers, eh? No. Well, half, I tried I had, those, I had, too. I had half of one. <laughs> and you got half down? No, no sort of. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's just say that if it was handy, there was a wastebasket nearby. <laughs> If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.